This is the Master of Cinema Cast. My name is Joachim. And my name is Tom Jennings. And today we have with us James Marsh to talk about the wrap-up of the year that has been. James, thank you so much for joining us. Not at all. Pleasure to be here. Okay, so before we talk about 2015 that has been, uh, I thought we could talk briefly about things that have been happening with MOC and people related to the MOC. So Jacques Rivet, he passed away, I think it was uh, two days ago now, uh, the 29th, uh, he passed away at the age of 87. And he's obviously one of the key figures in the French New Wave. And especially recently, he's been getting a lot of attention with Le, uh, Le Pont du Nord from MOC and the Out One from Arrow, and also Paris Belongs to Us from Criterion. So sad to hear his uh, passing out. Definitely, yeah. I've 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 recently ordered that box set as well. Um, that's recent. There's a kind of a uh, a pretty great collection come out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's from Arrow. Yeah, that's the out one and a couple of other films as well. I think. Yeah, and I've, I've, I've ordered. I'm, I'm. It's in my um, Amazon basket. I need to just pluck up the courage and not bulk at the price. Yeah. And simply get it. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely something I'm gonna. I, I fully intend on picking up and. Um, I mean, I I probably watched a lot of his films more when I was at university. He's not someone I've really gone back to in recent years, but certainly now since you know, obviously that he's passed away, I'm I'm going to have a kind of a a bit of a, a retrospective of his work. Hmm. Yeah, I think I might use it as as an excuse to do the same. I think I di- I saw a few same as you, Tom. Like when I was at uni, I think I saw La Belle Noiseuse and Celine and Julie go boating uh, back then. And um, I've watched. I don't know if I've watched all of Le Pont du Nord. I definitely started it one night and then uh, got about halfway through it. And it was it was pretty interesting, but I think it just got too late and then I never went back to it. So I have mm. a copy that so I should I should do that. But yeah, I think I think this might be a great opportunity to do that. And I might end up picking up that arrow box set as well. But, uh, but bit... yeah, you know, I, I certainly acknowledge it is a great loss. Mm. It's a bit daunting, that box set with the at one. Isn't that 12 hours or something? That's yeah. right. Yeah, so uh, I'm not sure if I'm ready to like uh, take that leap uh, until I've checked out more of his films, but uh, he's certainly an interesting filmmaker. I've got a new theory, actually, on watching films that I don't want to watch but feel like I have to watch, <laughs> which is I, 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 I literally don't think about it. Yeah. That's, that's the key. Don't think like, oh, this is going to be horrendous. Just wake up and watch it. Don't dilly around. Don't procrastinate. Get up, watch it, get it done. Yeah. That's the, that's my new... It's, it's working this year as well, this philosophy. I've been quite militant on, you know... My New Year's resolutions I, I, I dug out the other day um, consisted of watching films that I hate and gambling more. <laughs> that, they, they were the two, my two <laughs> real kind of big ones. So I'm, I'm pleased to report on both instances I'm doing quite well. But yeah, I, I've, I've noticed this recently. Get up, watch the film, don't think about it. Mm. Don't... Don't build it up in your head. Don't say, oh, Sunday, I'm going to watch Hard to Be a God. I will watch Hard to Be a God on Sunday. Just get standing. <laughs> go, right, I'm going to watch Hard to Be a God. Get up, watch it, man. Done. Yeah, it excellent. works. Trust me. Yeah, I, I tackled a bit, a bit of Bella Tarr quite recently. Oh, uh, I'd, only, I'd only seen The Cheering Horse, and they they were doing sort of, sort of a little mini retrospective here. And over a one weekend, I went to see, uh, oh, what's it called? The Verkmeister Harmonies. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then the next day, I watched... Satan Tango, which is eight and a half hours long, including two intermissions. Hmm. Uh, and if you've seen any of his films, you know that you know he's not big on action. 
or, or dialogue, <laughs> really. It's, you know, so I had to, again, it was just, a, I've got to get into like a zen state. So yeah, I decided, yeah. okay, this was the best opportunity. Go and see it. This was obviously at the cinema and they had two intermissions. So I put a, put a little bottle of whiskey in my pocket. And I was just <laughs> yeah. like, okay, I'm going to just let this experience happen to me. And, you know, not, I don't, I'm not writing about it or reviewing it or anything like that. So I'm just going to, you know, downshift into a kind of semi-conscious state and just let it happen. And it was fantastic. I was mesmerised by it, actually. And it could have been, if you'd told me it was two hours long, I would have believed you. The whole It just flew by. Oh, really? And, yeah, I had a great, I had a really great time with it. I mean, it is, really? you've got to be prepared for, yeah, sort of 15-minute scenes of a single shot of mm. nothing happening and things like that. But if you get yourself into that frame of mind, which... You know, I I struggle to do that at the best of times, like anybody. But it just it really clicked, and I was mm. I was utterly engrossed in in both the films. It was fantastic. Yeah, I I, I find it with Andre Tarkovsky films sometimes. Stalker, I love Stalker, mm. but by God, do I have to? I can't even think about it whilst I'm watching it. I remember the first time I saw it, and I was like thinking, right, this puddle means something. <laughs> this, this puddle, this puddle means something profound, and you're t- you're too stupid to. And I was like, no, the puddle doesn't mean anything. And then once I sort of got over that, I was like, right, okay, this is this is okay now. And I, I went, I've been back to Stalker over Christmas actually, and like I said, I was, I was having some teeth problems actually over Christmas, so I was pretty dosed up to the eyeballs on drugs, washed down with some fine booze, and Stalker, yeah, works. Mainly because I couldn't actually move due to the kind of cocktail of substances I had in me. But it was, yeah, it, it's, it, it seems to, I, I think my mind is coming round to this way of thinking now where I can like, I can get in that state and go, right, this isn't, stop, stop wanting things to happen that mm-hmm. aren't going to happen. Yeah. And you can kind of get over it. I think that's the key. Just let the, let the film take the lead as it were and just yeah let it happen. Um, I have interest. What whiskey was it? Was it? It was uh, Glen. It was a Glen Morangie, but it was it was it wasn't the 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 sort of standard brand. I bought like a oh. Christmas box set, if you like. Nice. And it had mm-hmm. a couple of little bottles of these sort of uh, different different Glen Morangie styles, uh, types, which was I can't remember what it was in it now, like cinnamon or something like that. It had something mixed in with it, no. not like an Alcapop. But you know, just a no, different, no, no. a different kind of whiskey. Uh, so I had a couple of those in my pockets, and uh, yeah, they did the trick definitely. I can, I can highly recommend Taliska Storm actually for endurance film watching. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> it's a particularly lethal whiskey that actually kind of. I'm, I'm not sure if it's whiskey or, or wicked strength mouthwash, and they just swap <laughs> the labels. But it, it literally it makes your eyes pop out, and uh, it, it's come to the rescue actually a couple of times in recent weeks. So yeah, so a little tip. It's nice. funny, really? uh, I watched uh, Once Upon a Time in Anatolia uh, and I have to stop, restart and get myself uh, a glass of um, Laphroaig whiskey. Nice. And then, and then I loved it. So <laughs> something about whiskey. <laughs> so maybe, but yeah, it's, it's funny that, isn't it? Like the more inebriated you get, the more these films tend to sort of be kind of slightly more bearable. I yeah. don't know if there's perhaps some sort of correlation between the two. As so long as you're comfortable, I think that's important, yeah. then you can do it. Yeah. 
Right. In February this year, we'll be getting two new releases. Samphil's Fixed Bayonets will be getting a dual format release on the 15th of February. It's a 4K restoration. We will be getting an audio commentary by Adrian Martin, which I'll be looking forward to. And also a booklet with an essay by Glenn Kenny and excerpts from the autobiography Third Face. So uh, I think we're pretty much covered on Fuller's early career as far as like DVD and Blu-ray he releases this uh, in recent years. Yeah, I, I got the screener actually, and I've already watched it. I've, I've this film I saw ages ago when I was a kid. It was one of my favourite war films, actually, mm-hmm. Fixed Burn. It's, and it's absolutely brilliant. This new restoration, great. Um, and yeah, it was it was a shame we kind of um, it would probably already be up there for next year's review as one of the best transfers. Actually, I, I can't see I can't see how many are going to be much better. But um, nice, it, it's it's a really good, really really good film, Fixed Burn. It's, uh, mm. it's also it's about the Korean War as well, and I think it's quite right. interesting because it's kind of it's one of those wars that doesn't quite. There are a lot of war films about it, but it's a, it's a war that I don't think a great, a great many people know a great deal that much about, and mm-hmm. it's it's you know it's often called the forgotten war um, in many respects. And um, yeah, it was a pretty you know a pretty heavy duty conflict. You know, it wasn't sort of some sort of skirmish as it were. You know, a fair few million people died, and it seems it seems like strange. It's kind of been ignored by cinema, I think, largely. I mean, in certainly kind of terms of the fact that. Um, it's a box office, I think. There was an Inchon, I think, which was quite a famous film in the 70s, which is a massive flop. Hmm. And it seems to have been kind of largely ignored since then. I know, what's this? Is there a film called Brotherhood, I seem to recall watching? There's a, a Korean um, film. Korean Bro- film, yeah. yeah Brotherhood. I mean, that, yeah, yeah, that was. Yeah, well, the, that was one. Which, the big one is which MASH. Is, Don't forget, MASH uh, yeah, oh, is yeah, all set course, yeah, during yeah. the Korean War. But, you know, they, they used it as a very sort of thin uh yeah. cover to, to talk about vietnam really but that was hmm. nominally set then but i uh, know I, yeah. I i got this in the mail the other day but i haven't had a chance to watch it yet and i i must admit i don't know anything about it so i'm quite looking forward to that yeah did this come out before steel helmets or after um, after uh, i sure. think i think after. wasn't steel helmets one of his first yeah i think it was the third or fourth film he made yeah so but uh i can't remember if Steel Helmets is also set in the Korean War, uh, or is that set in the Second World War? Yeah, I don't know. Off the top of my head, I'm not sure. But did he fight in Korea? Is he is he that old? He's old though. <laughs> yeah, well, because he did the Big Red One, didn't he? Which is yeah, supposed oh, no, to be it was pretty, set, it, pretty. It was set in the Korean War. Steel, steel Helmet. So yeah, yeah it was it set in the Korean yeah. War. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he seems to be like gravitating towards that one. So. Yeah, I mean, have you, have you seen the big red one? Have we discussed this? I can't remember. I've not seen neither of the versions, but I really want to see that uh, director's cut or the no. uh, restored cut. Yeah, so, no, I've, I've seen that. I, I picked that up when it came out, what, about 10 years ago now, probably. Mm-hmm. And I, I watched it once, and it's it's definitely flawed and, yeah, you, you know, has a sort of slightly rambling structure to it. But And it's weird because it's Mark Hamill. Mm-hmm. In, yeah, in the lead, and, and that's just weird. Anyway, <laughs> but um, it's one I'd like to revisit. Definitely, I mean, it's it's solid for sure. Um, mm. So definitely one. Now that I've seen more Sam Fuller films, I think in the intervening years, I'd like to go check it out again. But it's a uh, yeah, it's definitely worthwhile. And it's, I don't know if that restored version ever hit Blu-ray. Or um, I don't think it did. No. I think on the Blu-ray there was an uproar because the it was the original cut was <laughs> the Blu-ray, and then the director's cut was a uh, right. bonus DVD. I yeah. Think. I seem to re- I seem to remember thinking all oh, good it's coming out and then I was like oh no yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait for it but yeah it's strange when the big one because it, it's one of those films where I'm consciously aware of the budget 
because it doesn't look like it had much film. Like the D-Day literally consists of them looking like they're standing on a sand dune with huh. a boat in the background. And it's and I know I do, you can't, I don't want to be too critical, but it's when, yeah, I can, I can definitely tell they were sort of operating with very, very limited funds and it does show a little bit and like i mean i'm a, i know it sounds a bit pedantic but like the tanks in the film aren't german tanks <laughs> you know they're like I, th- I think it was like the spanish army or something it's like that sounds Patton's right one of the pattern is one of my all-time favorite films but that gets a few things wrong like the german tanks are just american tanks with german stuff on them and you're like thinking oh you know come on you, you could have done a little bit better there but yeah it's pretty it's a good film i mean it's just, it's interesting but i mean i, I just actually googling then you know um both of these um korean for korean war films were made during the korean war so they didn't mm. even kind of have oh wow the, that's the, they didn't have the, the benefit and sometimes of those types of films they kind of come across a bit propagandary mm-hmm. um if, if you ever want to watch the worst vietnam film ever made check out the green berets um, oh, I've never it seen was that. Oh, with John Wayne, isn't it? Yeah, it was. It was partly financed by the CIA. <laughs> so you can imagine that it's not the most. Um, it's, it's not the most. I, I guess I kind of. Rounded. Yeah, it, it's. Yeah. I mean, well, it's every, John Wayne. Every, so yeah, every, every <laughs> conversation can just gets. It sounds like Donald Trump talking about socialism in every yeah. scene. It's like, you know, <laughs> look at this. This is Czechoslovakian communists, and then they're like, look at this. It's a Romanian communist, and it's it's pretty awful, but strangely brilliant at the same time. Hmm. So, great. Yeah. Also, uh, in February, we'll be getting Pasolini's Hawks and Sparrows and Pigsty, uh, yes. which is a uh, Bearburns. Uh, upgrade but we will be also getting a booklet um it says uh, on the their site that this is a limited edition booklet so oh. but i'm not sure if that means because i think it's 1500 um units they will be dispatching oh right i've already got the screener for it but i mean it's a uh, pasolini falls into the category of what i was talking about earlier i have to gear myself up yeah to watch pasolini he's and, won um, me yeah. over in recent years actually he used oh, really? to, yeah it used to be a big struggle for me but i think in the last sort of one or two years i've really kind of he's clicked with me actually uh the, and is, that, to... is that in conjunction is that in conjunction with your alcoholism Quite possibly, possibly. (laughs) and my political activisms, and uh, all all the other things. But no, I don't know what it is really. But I um, just uh, yeah, it's just started to work. I kind of get his. I don't know what don't want to quite say sense of humour, but uh, I I see what he's doing now, and it doesn't bother me Hmm. quite so much. You know how bizarrely ADR'd all his films are, and things like that. Yeah. it's started to <laughs> it's started to sort of fall in line, and I haven't seen either of these two either, so I'm looking forward to that. But I re- have you either of you seen the um, the Abel Ferrara film with Willem Dafoe? No, no, it's on my love film queue. Thing. Yeah, it's it's worth uh, checking out actually. I mean, it's and it's only like 85 minutes long, which is hmm, always really? always a bonus. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, no, Dafoe does a really a really good job. I'm not quite so sure. I wish they'd gone a little bit more uh, conspiracy theory, shall we say, with yeah, um, with what happened to him. Uh, mm-hmm. Ferrara sort of picks a reason. I mean, because people to this day they don't know who killed him or why, mm-hmm. uh, and, and they pick something, and it's kind of the least interesting uh, reason. And uh, I wish they'd kind of delved into it and looked more at like the political. Uh, angles or possibilities with that but you know other than that it's really sort of well styled you know really well directed really stylish and Willem Dafoe's like uncannily good it's it's pretty cool hmm. 
Yeah, and there's some gratuitous blowjobbing in it as well. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. So if, you, if that's if that's your thing, then uh, you know, guy on guy, guy on guy blowjobbing. It's uh, yeah. Why not? Yeah, I mean, that was his. That was, new, his that was one of my other New Year's resolutions. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 Good. I mean, yeah. That's yeah. It sounds almost like a perfect eighty minutes to me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So uh, in March, we will be getting uh, another Italian film. Uh, Lucio Visconti's Rocco and His Brothers will be getting a Blu-ray-only release. Um, This looks quite packed with uh, a couple of documentaries and three interviews, as well as uh, a good booklet. So this will be spine number 133. I've heard great things about Rocco and His Brothers, uh, Mm. but I've never seen it, so I'm looking forward to this one. It's one of my all-time favourite films, so... Mm-hmm. I oh, wow. cannot wait for this one. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Um, this is a 4K restoration as well. Yeah, so, yeah. I yeah I I might even buy it if even if even if I get a screen I might even buy it just because I feel obliged to pay for such a great film. <laughs> yeah, I know that sounds a bit bizarre, but you know you do got to do sometimes. But I, I I've seen it. God knows how many times it never gets dull for me. So this mm-hmm. is this is probably be my favorite release of the year. Nice, excellent good news yeah no again this is it seems i don't know what they've really sort of fallen into into place recently i I don't know what the master cinema are doing but it's like they've seen my list of shame or something Um, (laughs) it's like right as as i'm gonna talk about a bit later you know 2015 their lineup is so so many classic films that i just never got around to watching and really knew i had to and uh already 2016 you know they're they're bringing out some belters that I was like, yeah, I've always meant to watch that. And yeah, Rocco and his brothers is right up there. So yeah. it was Keep really it weird up. actually. Keep it up. They're doing great work. I'm pretty certain BFI were going to put this out on Blu-ray and then release this kind of, I think it was like, a, they put a tweet out like saying, yeah, you know, 4K Rocco and his brother. And a few days later, it was like, oh, actually we don't actually have the rights. Huh. And, I thought, and I thought, that was, it was, it, I thought, how could you not know that before you claimed you were going to be putting it out? Yeah. yeah it's a bit of an and oversight. Then, yeah, I sort of thought it was. It was kind of like, sorry, folks. Actually, we, we won't be. So I don't know whether they thought they had it or they thought it had expired or something. Or they tried to get it off Master Cinema. But yeah, BFI were definitely, you know, this. Yeah, this is definitely coming out, and we've you know, what a coup for us. And then it was like, oh, no, actually, sorry, it's not. Because <laughs> didn't the same thing happen with was it Man with a Movie Camera? Because I know that uh, BFI brought that out last year. Um, well, then wasn't somebody else going to bring it out? Uh, very we'll shortly talk about after. that. Uh, we'll talk about that one very shortly. Okay. Uh, actually, okay. so. Um, but also in March, we'll be getting a dual format release of Nick Rogue's Eureka. There's a ton of jokes to be made there, but this will be an uh, a Blu-ray bare bones release. So it uh, doesn't seem to be much uh, extra going on there. But Nick Rogue is also one of those who will be getting, who has been getting a lot of releases uh, recently with. Uh, Don't Look Now and The Man Who Fell to Earth and Walkabouts mm. and yeah, really interesting uh, filmmaker. Yeah, definitely. He was an interesting f- cinematographer as well. I mean, yeah. um, I saw that one like now, four, yeah. Five, one, didn't he? And um, yeah, he did Far From the Madding Crowd as well. Chicago, <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, I mean, he was, you know, pretty, he got around, you know. Mm. <laughs> definitely. Um, I, is, what's, what, do you know what one film as well? I've never seen it all the way through is Castaway with... Um, oh, Oliver Oliver Reed. Reed. oh yeah right I've always seen like half of it and I thought this film that actually looks quite good 
Hmm. And when I was a kid, there was lots, it, was, it was lots of nudie scenes in it. I mm. seem to remember. So I used to quite like. Think, mm. but I've never, I, I genuinely really want to watch this film all the way through because it actually looks quite good, and it's never got a release, ever. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be up for that as well. I've, I have seen it, but yes, like like you, not not for many years, many many years. Hmm. So but that, yeah. but that and the blue blue lagoon were on a steady rotation at a certain period of my uh, life. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) it was it was this and then um selected scenes from flash gordon with princess aurora (laughs) yeah she can do no wrong no totally she can take me to her mongo pleasure planet anytime (laughs) (laughs) she wants right get back on track back on track man with the movie camera uh this was actually announced back in august on masters of cinema's facebook page but we haven't heard about it since so probably we'll be getting that one this year hopefully Mm. but uh we haven't heard any news about it since they announced that they had acquired it so Will be something I'll be looking forward to. Sigurdsson's masterpiece there. So yeah, definitely. I put off buying the BFI Blu-ray as well for mm. this one, and it's it's really cheap at the moment in FOP in Manchester. Nice. Uh-huh. Yeah, and no, I got. I think I've got a screener of the BFI one somewhere actually, um, but then it, it it kind of came out almost right around the same time uh, that Master of Cinema said they're releasing it. So I think I just mm-hmm. went, oh well, I'll wait for that one. And just pushed yeah. it to one side and didn't even bother looking at it. Um, uh, Do you know if the, uh, the same transfer they'll be using? Uh, or... I have no idea, actually, no. to be honest. Yeah. That must be like an, uh, what do they call it? Like an, it's an open title or... Yeah, it's um, uh, public, domain, it? public domain. Public, yeah, public domain, domain, yeah. 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 I mean, it, it, public domain, I mean, I seem to remember public domain DVDs were always a lottery of awful. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, I had um, what was it the Wages of Fear and things like that, and they were just terrible, like really god awful transfers. I mean, they were like cameras set up in a crappy cinema, some of them and things mm. like that. And I think now people have sort of wised up to them a bit. So if you're going to do a public domain release, it has to be you have to kind of do something with it. And certainly with the BFI one, and it has really, it has some really interesting features on it and stuff like that. You know, it's like a hour and a half documentary on it as well and you know there's quite i hope i'm just wondering if they're gonna have the same types of features i mean mm. might it be one of those i end up having to buy both i don't know but certainly yeah, yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to it because i do love that film as well it's the debate about um the, the triumph of the will yeah. in the u.s where they actually hard-coded some subtitles i think just right. to like put their own print on it i can't remember which uh, company put it out but they actually did something to the print so that if it was replicated by someone mm. else. They could say that this is what we've done. So, oh yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm sure with a new with a new restoration or transfer, you can own that, right? And so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. If you're so, going to the money to to yeah. I suppose if you're going to the money and the expense to do it, you know. Sure, 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 sure. It's, you know, yeah, I remember Night, business, Night of the Living Dead was another one that just turned yeah. up in yeah. a million different terrible versions. Some colorized. <laughs> it was pretty awful. Yeah. Right, so that uh, kind of wraps up the news section, but let's get cracking on the year that was, actually. Two key figures left the Masters in our company. We had the passing of Ron Benson, uh, as well as Craig Keller leaving the company. So did you guys like notice any changes in the latter part of the year in terms of where Masters of Cinema was going and the types of kind of profile they had? 
Not really, no. I mean, they seem to be quite prolific this year. There seems mm-hmm. to be a lot of releases this year. That was the one thing I did notice. I mean, it seems every time I kind of went away for the weekend and came back, there was always like a nice bag of you know screeners waiting for me. Yeah. And um, I was I was really impressed with the sort of the variety of films this year. Mm-hmm. There seemed to be a good selection from kind of across the broad of the genres and some some films that I, I'd never even heard of before, especially. Um, Day of the Outlaw, mm-hmm. which we, we'll probably discuss quite shortly, but films like that, which were kind of like, kind of took me kind of left field, which I hadn't really thought about, and suddenly they they were there, and I hadn't I had, I had no idea about them. I mean, I'd, I'd heard of films like, for example, Paper Moon. I'd heard about it. I'd never seen it before, and it just seemed that there were some really interesting left field picks that came out there. And um, the only the only thing I did find um, not disappointing as such, but something I did want is like some more kind of like recent releases of films i know we had um, the life of riley mm-hmm. yeah. um and listen up philip but i was hoping they'll kind of dig out a few more you know like we had um simon killer those types of films like you know you know kind of slightly more obscure titles perhaps mm-hmm. that have come out in recent years or you know or even that year that perhaps I, I was looking forward to a few of them and there wasn't so many but overall i, I thought it was a pretty decent year there were some fantastic titles yeah i mean I, I might go out on a limb and actually just say it might be one of their best years. Uh, I yeah. really, I really felt that there were very. I mean, like you said, there were, I think it did feel like there were a, a lot of releases, perhaps more mm-hmm. than there ever has been. I mean, I think, I think I tallied it up at about twenty-five releases over the course of the year, if you include things like the Metropolis reissue and things like that, which came out in January. Um, mm-hmm. And like, yeah, like I said, a broad, a good broad spread, but it really was like they had, you know, they had uh, seen my list of shame. It was like these great Hollywood golden era classics, you know, things like Shane and the quiet man and paper, yeah, paper moon star, like 17, you know, films like that. Um, and then there was stuff that came out that I'd never heard of that. I really, you know, having watched it, I was like, how did I never, have I never heard of this? Like two for the road was great. A new leaf was great. Stuff like that. Yeah. You know? And I was just like, I don't I, I didn't know that these films even existed. And then, yeah, they still had time amongst all of that to stay, you know, stay, stay on with like some of their sort of classic directors, like another Fellini film came out, um, you know, and then there was things like Wooden Crosses, which is always sort of seen, I, I, that really felt to me like one of their sort of wheelhouse type of titles. And then, yeah. I, you know, ended the year with a couple of classic sort of, of Asian cinema in, sort of these never better editions. Uh, mm-hmm. And obviously that's a big, a big deal for me. So yeah, all in all. Yeah. I think very, very few duds. I mean, we could maybe get into that a bit later, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of titles I didn't get around to actually checking out, but of the ones mm-hmm. I did. Yeah. Started off so strong with the, the show box set. I can, I mean, you oh, couldn't yeah. really go any better than that. So well, that's it. I mean, had that been that only re- release all year, I think people would have still been pretty satisfied. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Shower seems something I've always thought it's it's, it's more than a film shower. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't really sort of believe in this kind of people should be made to watch anything. But I think it it's essential, even if you don't love film or anything like it, just as a kind of a historical document. Mm-hmm. I think Shower is something that's worth watching, and um, certainly the release itself more than did justice to to it in, in, in every possible way yeah i thought 
Um, we had six Blu-ray onlys and 17 dual formats this year, and uh, no DVDs. And it seems like they're pushing more and more the dual formats than uh, recent years. So, um, And it looks like they'll just keep going um, whenever it can. And I personally, I never use the DVDs, but um, I mean... I mean, I don't know who does, but... Uh... <laughs> does anyone still buy DVDs? Yeah. Not unless I, I have to, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. Um... I mean, I've, I've, yeah, occasionally you have to duck in and get them, but I mean, I, I don't know. We have this conversation many a times, but yeah, it, yeah still interesting to talk about. So. Yeah, I mean, I went, I, went, I went around someone's house here, but then they had a DVD pack, and I was looking at it like it was like <laughs> this, this relic, like, and I just like sat there and I was just like... <laughs> I was sat there going, what is that thing? <laughs> In fact, it was my mum and dad's house. That's what it was. And I, was yeah. like, I, was, I, was like, I was like, parents, what is this? They're like, yeah, well, yeah, you know, we, 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 you, know you, you know us. I was like, yeah, backward. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the same time, I think I still, I, I, I'm still kind of a supporter of dual format just because I think it's nice to have the option, even though I never need that option. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a hoarder. I, I like I like to have both versions just so that you know i could you know on the on the odd occasion where i do lend something out to it or go around someone else's house and make them watch it there um mm-hmm. and you know some other it seems it's, it's you know other people do still have just dvd players and i'll, I'll never understand mm. it but um I, yeah i like i like to have the option i think yeah and while it's while it doesn't take up any extra space the way some of those uh criterion ones did uh i don't see i don't see the argument against it really Looking over the year's releases, there is an abundance of American releases, really. Yeah. I mean, I think over two-thirds of the movies are from either American directors or set in America. So it's kind of an interesting... I don't know if that's just coincidence, maybe, that those are the titles they were able to get this year. Uh, I don't really mind um, many Westerns, which I love. So mm. Yeah. But it, at the end of the year, it seems like they've been able to diversify their releases more where we'll be getting uh, more asian releases especially with uh oshima and uh king who's films as well so yeah i guess i'd like to see a little bit more for right i mean like a few more british titles coming yeah. up and stuff like that you know and i was thinking the other day actually um you know, certainly sort of like british documentary films like you know free cinema movement and something like that you know they've there's there's potential there to be mined i mm-hmm. think to kind of pick out a few a few classics i mean i suppose the offense is kind of a british film i mean it god it couldn't be set in a more miserable place no. <laughs> I, but I, I just sort of felt yeah i mean like i said I mean, there's a lot of westerns in there and yeah i've got you know, like i said i've got nothing against westerns but I, perhaps a little bit more variety in yeah I, I, a few more documentaries perhaps mm-hmm. yeah, no I, mean, I would agree yeah, I wonder whether with the British stuff, a lot of it's tied up with the BFI, though. Mm-hmm. You know, the rights yeah, well, for it or something yeah. like that. And uh, they just can't get hold of them. Yeah, but. perhaps it's this whole spat over Rocco and his brothers. It's, <laughs> you know, I mean, like they're hoarding now. You know, you're not having these prints. But yeah, I mean, it's. It, yeah, I, I'm not complaining, really. I mean, it, these, are, I mean it, these are just observations as yeah, opposed yeah. to kind of full on moans, I suppose. But I mean. But it will be interesting, like. When now that Craig Keller has left the company, um, maybe they'll bring someone else in. Yeah. Uh, and how will that kind of change uh, which films they curate? So, yeah, mm. we shall see. Yeah, you talked briefly about uh, your disappointment, or maybe not disappointment of the year, but um, 
kind of a gripe you had. Um, one gripe that I had, uh, which is not related to kind of releases or anything, but it's still there fucking website i mean yeah. <laughs> oh man god it's terrible i mean it's, i work yeah I, I mean i work in an environment where we web design is extremely important to us and i know what makes a good website and what makes a bad website i mean this i mean just go on the the landing page and try and read what is masters of cinema try and read underneath it mm-hmm. and it's hideous you can't you can't actually I don't, I don't know what's going on i don't know who designs this or but it's a nightmare. And not we, only that, you can't really see what are the new releases. When are no, they coming? No. They don't even have prices on the homepage. You can't sort DVDs or Blu-rays. It's Spine numbers. Yeah, exactly. You have spine numbers and you can't search by spine number. <laughs> you, know, you, know, that's, you want people to collect your whole collection. So make it easy for them to see what which ones they don't have you know yeah um yeah no i i i I, it's funny just before we started this call i opened up the site and realized to myself wow i haven't been on this website for about six months probably and (laughs) i'm supposed to be like a a big fan and i was like why am i why am i never on their website oh yes because it's terrible but i would like to see like more content there uh if they had interviews or blog entries or Mm, anything yeah. yeah I mean, the problem is with with these types of things. I mean, if you go on like the for there is a forum section, mm-hmm. and I mean, most of the last posts were like, I think I'm looking at it now, 21st of November. And unless you get that kind of community going, these things very quickly fall apart. Yeah, and it's it's yeah, producing content is hard. Producing engaging content is hard. <laughs> but I mean, if you go on the blog, for example, there's one entry from June 2014. Yeah, yeah and it's in a continuing <laughs> yeah, I mean, series. It's like no. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, and, and you know, there's a, obviously there's a community around Masters of Cinema. It just seems to happen off their website mm-hmm. and it's it's a, it's a tough one isn't it because it's like do you try and kind of compete with yourself or do you kind of go and find where people are talking about it and, and you know probably facebook isn't it is the would be the place where most people seem to do you know a good great deal of you know talking yeah. about film and stuff like yeah. that. I, I, I don't know it's just it's to me it's a confused website because it doesn't seem to really if, if, if it's trying to sell product i don't think it does it very well at all Hmm. I don't want to buy off it, you know. I'd rather buy on Amazon, which is a lot easier to navigate round. And I just think it needs kind of a rethink as to what it's actually trying to do. Yeah, and it's a shame because all you all you need really is a couple of sort of tech savvy interns, and mm-hmm. you just that's their job is just to play around with the website and get it sort of more user friendly. And uh, it wouldn't be too hard. But and they're good on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, there's a lot of content on Twitter, and then yeah, you know, there's some good stuff, and you know, little things like you know when you get sent the um, the emails regarding the release that coming out, you get a nice little pack of you know pictures on Flickr, which are always nice, which are always you know kind of retweet out and things like that. And Absolutely. In some, it seems in some respects, yeah, they got it sort of nailed, but another kind of it's just websites, just it's little things like the text is really really hard to read. Uh, you know, it's not good for people. You, you need it to be as accessible as possible, mm-hmm. and it just isn't. Thinking about it now, whenever I want any information about anything, I go I go to my emails and just you know Google Steve's email and all his, yeah. all his emails come up and that's all the information I ever need. Yeah, you know, and that's yeah. where it all is. And it's just like 
well, okay, you know, surely there should be a website somewhere where everybody can access yeah. most of this information. Yeah. Oh, well. I don't know. I mean, like I said, if, if you're going to do content website, it is a job. You know what I mean? It's a full-time job that sure. someone has to do. And it's a, it's, a, it's a hard job as well. And, you know, perhaps it's one of those resource things. If it's all happening off-site, it depends how much traffic they're getting, aren't they? I mean, I'm sure if there was a, a need to do it, to employ someone to do it, then they would do it. But I, I would imagine it's more of a case of just it's another bum on seat that you've got to pay for hmm. and when if i mean they, they seem to be doing all right anyway don't they so it doesn't perhaps it's just not a priority yeah yeah that's just surprising that's all because obviously yeah. if i you know if it's like arrow or any of those other sites i mean criterion if if they shipped internationally i would shop direct uh all the time if i could yeah yeah you yeah, know it's definitely. just it's just a horrible way to do it so i have bought a couple of things off their site but it's it's always a hassle, and it's always just difficult to do. I mean, they do ship pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. I, will, I will say that you know, and living where I do, it you know, Amazon it takes a couple of weeks to get here, just as standard. Um, but they're pretty fast, mm-hmm. so you know, I can't complain about that. You know, they're obviously their their back back end, as it were, is working fine. But it's just I wish it was a more pleasurable experience to do business with them. Yeah. Do you have any other before we like get into our categories of the year? Uh, do you have any other disappointments or perhaps minor gripes that you would like to? Well, I've aired my con- I've aired my concerns about the Shoei Imamura box set um, last time I was talking to you guys, <laughs> where I just I just don't understand why they've repackaged the individual titles. You know, when hmm. surely they had an abundance of stock of all of them, and they could have just put a wraparound box around them and I think everybody would have been happy but we'll perhaps discuss it thing but did anyone notice a slight audio problem on Shane I didn't actually no I audio watched the stereo version but I didn't Ooh, I think it might yeah, perhaps it was just the screen around. I did buy it anyway on okay thing but I did notice a slight I don't I wasn't sure I haven't I was in panic mode actually because I thought it might be my setup, and I thought, "Oh my god!" <laughs> I was like, "No, this is this can't be happening." And then I went back and I was like, "I was rewinding." No, it's definitely on the Blu-ray. Yeah. and I did notice slight audio. Oh, there was a kind of like dropouts occasionally. Hmm. Which version did you watch, or have you gone through all three aspect ratios? I went on the perceived correct one. Well, I can't even remember what that was. But <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pretty. I read a very interesting email exchange between um, some film preservation guy and George Stevenson's. Uh, son, I son, think it yeah. was, mm-hmm. yeah, and who basically was kind of no, no, no. This is how my dad wanted it, and he was like, no, I'm telling you, this is how it was meant to be, and it was, yeah. I, I went through it, and I'm pretty certain I watched the correct one, widescreen um, one, or no, I the... think it was altered to be widescreen, wasn't it? I think I yeah, watched. Yeah. It, it's, it's so confusing, I, it, but it's definitely I, I definitely watched the perceived right one. There isn't a widescreen version of it. There's a slightly one that's one slightly wider, but it's certainly not a widescreen. Okay, it's one sixty-six. Yeah, framing when, optimized or, for this ratio, s- supervised yeah. by George Stevens Jr. One sixty-six mm. one. Yeah, I think I don't I, think that's the one you should watch though. I think this is. <laughs> I think I went with the the kind of full frame version. Yeah, that's the one I went with as well. But you see, in that full frame version, there are certain scenes where you can clearly tell that this is a camera set up for a full frame, where you have people. Uh, down below you have like um, small kids in the bottom of the frame and you also have uh, adults in the top of the frame so you can't really Mm. cut the picture without 
cutting one of the faces off. But in other scenes, you see like an abundance of space uh, where you don't really need, you don't really get any information. So I don't know uh, which would be the correct one there. Well, George Stevens Jr. wanted it in 166. Yeah. And that isn't how it was filmed. It was filmed in 137. Yeah, exactly. And that was how, that was how Stephen Sr. and the cinematographer looked at it. And I know there was a bit of a kerfuffle because I think George um, Stephen Jr. didn't go to the um, 60th anniversary screening of it. I think he was okay. so oh. put out that he Because he, he does uh, the... Boycott. He, mm. he was recorded the audio commentary on the film. Yeah. And um, yeah, he, he, he seems to know exactly what was going on the whole time it was mm-hmm. i thought he was quite quite good he brought quite a lot to that commentary because i think there was uh was it on wings where they've got somebody's son on there as well um doing the commentary yeah and i i, I wasn't quite so convinced he really knew what he was talking about he was you know <laughs> he was he was carrying the the baton of his family legacy but wasn't necessarily the right person to do it it was just his his uh, inheritance, if you like. Whereas uh, Stevens yeah. Junior, yeah, really seems to have been. I think he was on set, wasn't he? I think he, yeah, he was about eighteen at the time or something, and was involved nominally, at least. But uh, yeah, no, I thought he was as good as having the director there himself. Hmm. I'm sort of a believer, and I'm coming around to this sort of way of thinking now that there there should be some sort of law that prohibits, like, if a film if a film is shot in a certain ratio. Mm. There should be like some law that if it comes out, you have to have. And even if someone's met, like, I mean, who's the guy that did the Last Emperor? Bertolucci. Apocalypse. Yeah, no, the cinematographer though, because oh, he keeps going back and messing around with Storaro. Some fun, yeah. He he has this really annoying knack of going back and like reframing things. And I'm I sort of I was discussing it with someone the other day. There should be some sort of law where if you're going to re- reframe it for, th- you have to release the original frame as well. The anti-George so- Lucas law. Yeah, just yeah. So, just so because I, it's. I mean, the Last Emperor is one of my favourite films, and now we've got this kind of awful sort of. It's it's not widescreen and it's not quite full frame, and it's this horrible in between. I know some people say, "Oh yeah, but it's an open mat anyway, so it's just you know, you're not losing anything." I'm sort of like, just give me both. Right. Yeah. It doesn't. Co- it doesn't cost much to to do another Blu-ray. Did no. you watch the 3D version? You know, they remastered it for in 3D a couple of years ago. Of the last emperor, yeah, yeah. Um, oh my god! Yeah, I'd say within <laughs> the, within the last five years, and uh, yeah, it premiered at Cannes, and they came here with the festival here, and I watched it, and uh, you're just like, well, at least I'm seeing it on the big screen, but this is rather unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, no! I didn't even know that monstrosity had taken place. I'm afraid so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no. so um, let's get on with uh, our end of year favorites here this year we'll be doing something different because we won't be going through the year chronologically but we'll be doing our favorites in four different categories one is transfer of the year one is supplement one is uh, best cover and then we'll have three favorite releases of the year i emphasize favorite and not best necessarily because i i, I think as with most of this rele- those releases, I need I need to watch this several times, mm. and I need to like 
process it. I didn't have time to watch everything more than once. So but these are my like immediate thoughts. Yeah, it's kind of like, I mean, when you do anything, I'm, I was working on my sort of best of 2015 show for the other podcast and I was sort of sat thinking, I, need, I, I can't release it like January the 1st because I need to go back and watch these films yeah. again and sort of, you know, get that second viewing and that kind of gut reaction that you have sometimes. And certainly with the Martin, because there were so many releases, I just didn't have time to go back and watch all of them again. And so I'm kind of, mine's sort of very much kind of shooting from the hip, I suppose, is is my list. Were were I to come back to it in six months and watch more again, it'd probably be slightly different, but I'm quite happy with what I settled on anyway. Yeah. So um, we could just start with the... Our favourite transfer of the year, James, if you will start us off. Okay, um, I think it might be quite an obvious choice, but I think I've got to go with the 4K restoration of Dragon Inn, the King okay. Who film, which, uh, you know, for, I remember for a very long time it was very, it was unavailable in any good version or any English-friendly version. And um, when this, this came out, I actually was able to see it on the big screen last year. Oh, uh, no, it would have been 2014 now, shortly after it was it debuted. And, you know, it just looks unlike anything you've ever seen. And, and then shortly after that, when um, Master Cinema sort of subtly hinted at the fact that they were going to be bringing it out, I already knew, OK, well, this is going to be like my favourite release as soon as it comes, just because, you know, the film is so iconic and, and so much fun. And uh, I was not disappointed, you know, and I'm, it's, I'm thrilled to have a copy of it in my house now. It's, it just looks absolutely stunning without looking sort of overly scrubbed. You know, it's it's very rich. I'm not sure exactly what what they shot it in. I don't think it was Technicolor, but I'm not sure. But it looks you know so vivid now, you know, particularly because you've got this deranged villain with his bright blonde hair, and you know everyone's in these like multicolored robes and everything, and the scenery's so good. It's just the perfect film. It just lends itself to an awesome trans- transfer. And uh, yeah, you know, I've got. Kind of actually, my I'm without revealing what they are. Kind of my top three films of the year are all almost centered around the fact that they just look so damn good now. And uh, <laughs> but yeah, if I was going to pick one, it's just got to be Dragon Inn. It just it just looks great, and it it was so terrible for so long that uh, you know hmm. I I appreciate the the uh, the efforts that are all all have been uh, all, yeah the 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 efforts made by all concerned to uh, bring it up to yeah. up to snuff and it just looks sensational and uh yeah, yeah i should say you know if you've had a chance to check out a touch of zen which obviously has just come out now so it's, yeah. it was like in front of me here so yeah it's uh it looks it looks equally as good i i, I don't like the film as much just because okay. i don't know if you any of you either of you've seen touch of zen yet but not, not yet, yet no. no it's 3 hours and uh, when I first saw it, it was actually in two parts because that's how they first released it. And I think on the old DVD I have it, there is actually a break in the middle. And that first half is hard work because mm. not not much happens, whereas the second half is amazing. And there's some <laughs> wall-to-wall action. And, and when it's great, it's great. But Dragon Inn is just so easily digestible. You know, it's <laughs> sure it gets right to the point and it's all go pretty much from the beginning. And uh, no, I love it. It's fantastic. Yeah. Tom? Um, well, my one, I'm going to have to... There were so many really quite incredible ones. I mean, like, just off the top of my head, like Starlag 17. Yeah. Um, looks mm. amazing. Seconds as well. Uh, I really enjoyed. But I'm going to settle for a film which kind of has, I suppose, slightly more personal to me in the fact that um, it's a film set in where my girlfriend lives in Ireland. And it was um, John Ford's The Quiet Man. Mm. 
Now, I love Technicolor films um, and how they look. There's just something I just instantly associate them with film. And I know that's a very obvious statement to make. But I just always, as soon as I watch them, I just, it, it just kind of, it, it, it takes me back really into film, but I enjoy like the kind of um, the red shoes and things like that. And I, I watched The Quiet Man. Um, it was, I had, a, I, had a, I had a projector and it broke and I got another one and I, I got, I got given this new Sony one and they, they re- reliably informed me in the shop that it was way better than the one I did have. And this was the first film I watched on it. And I was absolutely blown away by how, how good it looked. I mean, it was... It, it was just such a joy and the film itself was hilarious because it just played on every single stereotype about the Irish <laughs> that anyone could possibly imagine. But How many it, fights I, have I, you had with your in-laws yet? Oh, I mean, I, I mean, I, they're, they're incomprehensible when you, go, <laughs> when, you, when you go around there. I mean, my girlfriend's dad is, he just points to the middle distance and then I think he's telling me a story. I don't know. <laughs> I, it's just, and they're like, this is the thing. And I, and I, I, saw, I, and I was watching this film, like laughing along at, at it and um, just marveling at how good it looked. Hmm. And I mean, just, I mean, J- John Wayne looks, I mean, he's obviously quite young in the film, but it was just, it was almost like three dimensional. The image was so good. Yeah. And it was just a complete joy from, from beginning to end, but a very, very close second um, was uh, 40 Guns, the Samuel Fuller film. Oh, yeah. Because mm. um, that had an, an amazing, like, widescreen film. And it, I think because I enjoyed um, The Hateful Eight so much, this is one of the ones I did go back and watch again because it kind of, it, it was this sort of slightly off-kilter Western and that was a great black and white widescreen cinemascope effort. But I think just pipping it would have to be The Quiet Man just because I think... Technicolor looks so amazing even today. I mean, uh, you know, the adventures of Robin Hood and things like that. And I, I, it was just, yeah, it was one of the f- few films as well made by that studio in Technicolor. Mm. And um, just the whole kind of the process behind it fascinates me as well. Yeah. And uh, this, I, I think it just, and like I said, there was no scrubbing up of it. It just very much looked like it was, oh, it, it could have been filmed yesterday. It looked so good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and the I way he uses love. the red color in that film is just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's just joyous, really, yeah. I think. Right. Quiet Man was also my favourite transfer of the year. But um, <laughs> if I had to take a second one, obviously, Shower for me uh, yeah. probably stands up there as among the greatest transfers of the year. It gets the, it gets the temperature right in the film, uh, which Criterion didn't uh, for me. And also, you can you can just see... It's an interesting, like, investigative process visually as well. Uh, just how he utilizes the the film itself. Um, yeah, uh, I just love the the way they've handled that picture with such uh, respect. Uh, yeah, I can't really say much about it other than it just feels right. It feels like this is the way this was meant to look, and uh, high resolution, no. No noticeable mucking about. Uh, it feels natural the way it should be. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there's a temptation as well. A lot of documentaries. I mean, one of my all-time greatest crimes against transfers is um, the World at War series. What they did with exactly. That. Yeah. It was just you know they blew it up for sixteen nine. They recolor graded it <laughs> using God knows what palette. I mean, I do color grading at work, and 
it's, it's a fine art you know to make things look well but i mean you can just get that saturation and just tip it up all the way and, and people will think oh that looks good because it looks greener mm-hmm. but but what you're doing is you're just completely vandalizing what was originally intended and with shower there must have been thank god it came to someone like master cinema and criterion because let's be honest there might have been a temptation well we're if we will reframe it for a modern audience mm. that'll you know that'll bring them in and it's just hideous sometimes what, what these people do and i think with show they absolutely nailed it because that framing as well the one three three frame it forces you to look in into the middle of the screen there's nowhere else for your eyes to go mm. other than focus right ahead and for a film that important i think it's vital to keep aspect ratios as they are as the way they were intended mm-hmm. because you're what because you're not supposed to be marveling you're not supposed to be looking to the left and the right of the screen and taking in these widescreen vistas or you know looking around you say you're supposed to be looking straight ahead and that's why i think it's so important and i think it's it's reframing and mucking around with these things is a form of vandalism i fear sometimes yeah. and there is there is this the the thing as well people don't ask for it to be done Mm-hmm. It's it's what studios think. I think people want to ha- happen, and it is completely wrong um, f- for them to do it. And with show, I was yeah, you know, obviously I, I couldn't imagine a time where someone like Criterion or Master Cinemas would muck around with it. And it's certainly, it, you know, it's hard to not to talk about it from kind of such reverential way. But it's certainly you, just showing the respect it deserves by not mucking around with the aspect ratio is key to me. Yeah. Also close favorite uh was also paper moon which you've mentioned mm. earlier yes which yeah. looks quite incredible in black and white yeah i was really blown away with that one uh, i think i saw it a couple of years ago in a crappy dvd version but looking at that in blu-ray was just a revelation for me and the film i'm sure we'll cover it uh, later yes. on as well so definitely and that's yeah. uh, what was interesting about that transfer is that i remember i think that it's mentioned by bogdanovich or somebody on the disc that Orson Welles told him to shoot with a red filter on yeah, the camera because right. it really just makes the whites really sort of pop out. And mm. uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it's still in black and white, but it just looks, yeah, there's a really sort of strange sort of look to it. I can't really quite articulate how good it was, but uh, yeah, apparently he mm. got that by, by shooting in black and white with a red filter. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so the next category is Best Supplement. So, James. Okay, I'm going to start sounding like a broken record, but there's something <laughs> on the uh, on the Dragon Inn release that just stuck with me, you know, immediately, and that's the, the little video essay by David Cairns, which yeah. is uh, a wittily titled Hostile, Hostile <laughs> Forces. Uh, you know, I, this is one of the titles that I, um, you know, I was very keen to review and, you know, wanted to make sure that I actually said something vaguely worthwhile about it. And then I sat down and watched this little video that he does. And it it pissed me off, to be quite frankly, because <laughs> it just tells, it just says everything. Everything yeah. that you could possibly want to know about the film that, that by and bringing it into a, a modern day context. You know, why is this interesting to audiences of the day? You know, who mm. were his influences at the time? You know, what you know what films are being referenced you know what people like tarantino have been stealing from him ever since and and just his use of camera you know his editing his music and the performance and everything you're just like oh my god this is this is fantastic but then now what am i going to possibly write about um <laughs> without just saying okay here's a thousand words on david kenzie's 10 minute essay <laughs> but so it's yeah, it, it it was just the perfect 
sort of introduction. I mean, it. it yeah, I don't know whether you'd. I'd advise anybody to watch it before the film, but because it does obviously sort of tell you everything about it, including what happens at the end uh, hmm. and how Tarantino ripped it, the ending off completely <laughs> in Death Proof. But it's it's just the perfect way. If you're having any trouble sort of understanding these films and the context in which these films films like sort of Dragon Inn and, and what what Wuxia cinema meant at the time and you know how in touch were they with Western cinema at the time, he says at one point he goes, okay, and you know. He says it all oh, in the sequence. You know, King Who has has definitely seen Sergio Leone's A Fistful of Dollars, and then he pauses for a beat and goes, "King Who's seen everything," because there's just <laughs> so many references from so many different sort of genres of cinema and what have you throughout Dragon Inn that, uh, and he's very good at sort of pointing them all out. And uh, I, yeah, it, it, you know, as much as I love sort of audio commentaries and all the rest of it, uh, and and a lot of the essays in the booklets and what have you, this was just this. This is exactly what you want. From a sort of short, <laughs> concise um, supplement. I mean that, and an honourable mention to, you know, three different framed versions of Shane. Uh, you know, because yeah. it's the exact same film, but it's completely different, and it's the kind of supplement that a normal, uh, you know, mainstream release wouldn't dream of doing. So no, why no, would no. you put three identical versions of the film on <laughs> on your release just because you know the framing is different? But they did it with Touch of Evil. And they've done it again now with Shane, and it's great. I may never get around to watching all three versions, but just the fact that that exists and that I have them, I I, I applaud them. It's uh, mm. yeah, it's great stuff. Yeah, going back to the 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 King Who uh, video essay, it was one that I watched after watching the film, where I was I was kind of unsure about how I felt about the film, but watching that essay, it kind of yeah, it cemented the fact that I I did actually really like the film, but I had to go back mm. and rewatch it and kind of understand the context that he so brilliantly uh, uh, gives out to me. So, oh, that's yeah. perfect. Well, I'm glad that I'm glad that that's how you felt about it. Cause yeah, for me, that's mm. exactly what it did. And uh, yeah. I was very happy about it. Okay. Tom. Um, I'm going to go with Shane um, purely on the basis that um, it's one of my favorite. Shane is one of my favorite Westerns anyway mm. um and it was certainly one of my favorite releases and purely on the basis that you get all these kind of different transfers going on it and and things like that and i just felt it was a really kind of from a f- kind of film history perspective I, I, th- I think i loved it because you get all the you, know, you, you get all the you can you can see when people i mean it's it's a, it's a review a release for cinephiles mm-hmm. i think i think that was the main thing for it for me and um i yeah, you know, I, I really enjoyed the commentary in it from George Stevens Jr. and and the producer as well. And there was a really an interesting, um, uh, a, a kind of like a it was like a radio theatre adaption of it as well, which I actually quite enjoyed. Um, I kind of ripped it the audio off it and kind of listened to it, and I, I really quite enjoyed that. And uh, a, a fantastic book booklet as well came with it. Um, just some brilliant. Uh, essays on it and again another look at this kind of the, the controversy i suppose or the kind of the hoo-ha surrounding this um uh, the, the whole kind of aspect ratio issue that was going on and like i mean i, I watched the 1371 presentation and then i'm, I'm going to go back and watch it and just have a look and see I, I, I might do some screen grabs of it actually just to kind of see what the people were talking about but yeah and it looked fantastic as well that was the other thing about it i mean it was i know we, I know we covered uh, transfers but yeah I, I was just as a kind of a package of kind of a little kind of snippet of film history i felt this was one that was really great and i uh yeah just thoroughly enjoyed it i actually bought it as well the limited edition one that came 
mm-hmm. I got the screener for it, but I bought it too because I just sort of I wanted it to have the kind of the the box as it were. Yeah, yeah. Shane was also on my list of favorite supplements, but actually gone with a commentary for my favorite um, Alex Ross Perry's commentary for Listener Philip. I found the film to be quite interesting, even though it was um, a little difficult to get engaged with. But after hearing his thoughts on like making the film and how passionately like he's very proud of the film he's created and he doesn't take all the credit for himself but he frequently like points out throughout the film what contributions other people in his crew and um the actors have uh, brought into the film uh just the the art direction and the costume and everything and that's uh, one interesting part of it. The other is that it's so listening to his experiences jumping from like a bare bones, very small uh, filmmaking team to this more internationally known actors and big production team. It's very interesting to hear his thoughts on that um, transition as well. So I thought he was like really uh, came across as a really reflected filmmaker uh, that came with uh, quite a bit of insight into the film. It also relates to the interview, uh, like a half an hour interview or conversation with another, I think it was his uh, his producer, I think. I can't remember quite now, but it's also on the disc. So, yeah. It's, com- commentaries are so hit or miss sometimes. Mm. Yeah, they are. I mean, I mean, like one person who I love who does great ones is Ridley Scott ones. Because <clears> he kind of, he... he he really engages in the fact that he doesn't kind of, he, he kind of come across as a guy that's like, he's, he's almost like wanting to help other people. Like he, he answers questions, which you, the audience ask, you know, and he's sort of like, right, this is how I did that. And he kind of come, does it in a really kind of business-like sense. And it's really interesting. And he's not one of these, oh, it was so funny. Hmm. Um, we were filming and then someone fell over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so just after that, and it's like, his is more really technical. And I, I love it when filmmakers do that because it's interesting when they kind of share their craft with you. Exactly. And you know, they sort of, I mean, you know, I, I don't know how many people really di- dive into commentaries that much. I mean, I, I, I tend to listen to them when well, I've watched a film and then if I'm like doing some cleaning or cooking, I'll put the film on and have the commentary on and sort yeah. of have it on in the background. I don't, I, think... I don't tend to sort of sit down and watch the film again and, you know, kind of take it in like that. I kind of have the kind of background materials, but hmm. occasionally you get some absolute crackers and you sort of, it makes you completely, like they like, say, it gives you a deeper appreciation for the film. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. When it's, when it's right, it's, uh, it's the best kind of supplement i think yeah. one who someone who's particularly incredibly bad at them is arnold schwarzenegger um yes yes oh, <laughs> any yeah. any of his is he he basically just tells you what he's doing on screen <laughs> yeah. and now i come into the room and now i shoot everybody it's like yes i know that much i can see for myself please tell me something <laughs> yeah. else. i can't remember which film it is it might be total recall where it's quite legendary also conan oh yeah okay well, any of them, I guess. Uh, he's yeah. quite quite legendary, badly bad at them, and gets paid a million dollars to do them. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Knowing Arnold, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine he'd be like coming back for the fun of it. You know? <laughs> okay, so the next category is best cover, Sir James. Right. Um, yeah, for this one, uh, there were quite a few sort of interesting covers that I liked this year. So a couple of honourable mentions. I really like the cover for Wooden Crosses, mm-hmm. uh, which is a film that I discovered for the first time. I think probably. 
the year before, I think 2014, I actually had to write something about it for the Hong Kong Film Archive, who was doing a mm. uh, 100 years... Yeah, it would have been 2014, because they were doing 100 years of World War One series, and uh, so I watched it for the first time then, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a great movie. If, uh, yeah. if you haven't got around to watching it, it's fantastic. And I, so I really like the cover, it's just sort of a nice striking bit of imagery, a bit of, art, yeah. bit of artwork. Um, I think my other honourable mention would be the cover of Seconds, with this great sort of fish eye, fish eye lens. <laughs> Down, Joachim. Down. Did you, did you not like that one? Uh, no, no. Okay, okay. I don't know why. I just like, yeah. I mean, I think the Criterion cover was was better, but it's very different. Okay. But, um, yeah, no, I don't know. Something about it. I just, I'm a sucker for a fish eye lens, maybe. Yeah. Um, but no, my. Okay, I'll move on. Um, <laughs> but my favourite, I think, job you in another country. <laughs> my favourite, I think, is um, is the Metropolis re-release. Actually, mm. you know, I mean, that's a very, very sort of well-known, very classic bit of artwork. But um, you know, with the gold finish of the case, that's one that yeah. I actually sort of went, okay, right, yeah, I've got to buy that one because although <laughs> I had the earlier release of it, um, and I actually had, I had the DVD of the Moroda version as well. Because I think, weren't they doing a special offer in their store a couple of years ago where if you bought three releases, then you'd get a free copy of that. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, and I did that, so I got that. But then, the, so the idea of just having it all together under one roof, as it were, and that on Blu-ray, because <laughs> that was only a DVD of the Moroda one, um, I was just like, yeah, I'll do that. And there was a chance to win a gold bar. So I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> funnily, funnily enough, I didn't ever, win the gold bar. You might have heard about <laughs> it if I had. But um, uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a cracking release, obviously. And uh, yeah, I think the artwork is just too too good to ignore. Good choice. Uh, Tom, what about you? Um, well, James mentioned it. I'm going with wooden crosses. Yeah, um, cool. I absolutely love that one, to be honest with you. It was, it was a rare... My, my, my criteria for... Um, covers is would I want it on my wall mm-hmm. and um, certainly the wooden crosses one I, I, I absolutely loved it it's just a really nicely designed I love the font on it and the, the kind of the, the cross in the foreground and the way it kind of affects the colours of the mm. soldier looking into it and stuff mm-hmm. I, it was just yeah hands down my favourite one Yeah, um, I mean we have, we have talked about kind of master cinema covers in the past not kind of perhaps grabbing us as much as they should and yeah. um, I mean I, I like the, uh, for example, the Stalag 17 one because it felt like it was like taken from the original artwork. But um, yeah, it was definitely the 40 Guns one as well. I quite enjoyed. Hmm. The, uh, the it looked made the film like you know a complete kind of action pat type of thing. But um, yeah, definitely it was Wooden Crosses hands down for me this year. Yeah, Wooden Crosses was also on my list. But if I had to go with the second one, uh, I think Shane actually oh, cool. is one that I really enjoyed with uh, just the. The background, middle ground, foreground um, composition there. I love how they put the font in, uh, on the top there with Shane, kind of reminiscent of how the boy shouts Shane at the end there, quite annoyingly. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, but yeah, no, I, yeah. I love. Uh, I just love the composition there and uh, how he actually. It seems like he's shooting the gun rather than the man. So he's yeah. uh, he's not uh, really he doesn't come across as a killer, but more as a, a protector, which is true to the film as well. So yeah, definitely. Uh, actually, yeah, I'm sitting here looking at a bunch of Arrow releases, and I had to I have to admit that almost every single Arrow release looks better than most of Master Cinema. 
in terms of covers. Mm. I just love how they put their own spin on it. And I really wish that Master Cinema could kind of do that as well, be a little more brave than just pick out a poster and just slap it on. Well, that's like the idea of reversible artwork as well. I mean, yeah, exactly. Because they've done that with a couple of their classics, haven't they? The Eureka classics. I mean, not to not yeah, to much yeah. success, to be honest, but... Um, I you know that that gives you some leeway. And it can't it can't be that much more expensive to to print double sided covers like that. And no. I'm surely you know if you if you license the film, you get the original artwork as well. I would yeah. imagine. So yeah, I just wish there'd be a bit more yeah invent uh, inventive, a bit more adventurous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm I'm sort of of the opinion. Would it be worth sort of having like all of them kind of based on the same principles almost? Mm-hmm. You know, like it's their own little spin on it, but you see some rather wonderful posters sometimes for like, um, for example, Star Wars. I was looking at um, some some new posters and I had to look at some Star Wars ones. And there's a guy based in Manchester and he he sells them through a gallery. And it's called the Richard Goodall Gallery in in town, and he kind of like does this kind of really kind of interesting spin on them, where they're kind of like quite minimal, but they're kind of they're individual, but they kind of they have this like like a little kind of they just slightly twist what was there originally and do something quite nice with it. And I don't know whether or not it'd be worth just kind of yeah, have the same kind of font with the same kind... I don't know, like, give it this sort of individual identity yeah. to the brand as opposed to kind of... I mean, I don't mind them just taking, obviously, an original poster and slapping it on the thing. I, I'm not really bothered by that. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's only covers. That's what I keep telling myself. Mm. It's not really that. It's, of course, yeah. You, you, don't, you don't buy a film on its cover, do you? I mean, let's be honest with you. I mean... um. If if a film you loved came out and you got there and thought, oh, the cover for this is terrible, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not I'm not buying it. You know, it wouldn't happen, would it? No. It's just I don't know. It's one of those pernickety things that yeah, you know, as long as they've got a spine number, don't there ever miss off the spine number. <laughs> it's, I, I don't care. Just put that spine number on, and I will buy it. But yeah, I, I sometimes wonder. I sometimes wonder, do I get a bit too sort of upset about covers and whatnot? Yeah, I don't know. It's a toughie. It's kind of what uh, grabs you immediately, but. Obviously, when you put the film in, you don't look at it yeah. ever again. So it's like, I mean, for example, the Hunger Games covers are hideous. Yeah, they look awful, and those films are great. And I'm like, come on, guys, mm. you know, I'm trying to convert people here to the Hunger <laughs> Games. They just look at it and go, I'm not watching that shit. And I'm like, no, no trust me, <laughs> trust me, they they are good, you know. Okay, so moving on to our final category, it's the three releases of the year our favorite releases so james would you start us off with your third pick okay so we'll just do okay third pick first okay you can you can do uh all your three then um yeah so yeah okay i'll just bang 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 them all out okay yeah because i i haven't ranked mine either so it will be kind of hard to okay yeah i mean i think mine are vaguely ranked but whatever i'll i'll rank them but just for just know know that i love them all um, yeah. And like I said, it's been, it has been such a good year as far as I'm concerned. There have been so many films, uh, you know, coming into the collection, either films that have been, you know, on, like I said, on my to watch list forever, and I've just never got around to them. Finally, I'm getting the opportunity to watch them, or films that I'd never even heard of, uh, like uh, Wild Wild River. I'd never heard of that, and yeah. uh, what stuck it on, and it's it was great. You know, it's not it's yeah. not in my top three or anything like that, but. You know, it was a really just cool film. Stalag 17 mm. I'd never seen. The Naked mm. Prey I'd never seen, you know, but these were films that I was very aware of for many years. And I uh, finally got the chance to see them. And, uh, you know, they're now available in great, great new editions. And so, yeah, I thought, you know, it's a really strong year. I found it very difficult to um, 
narrow it down to three. And I was going to say straight off the bat, Shoah is not in my top three. Uh, it's it's Oof. it's too it's because it's too okay. Well, I don't want to criticize it in case it's in yours, but it's it's kind of too <laughs> obvious in a way. Yeah, and it's all right, Mister Narky Pants. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like with your hipster that's it. It's, it's too it's too <laughs> essential. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't, and honestly, it's not something I'm going to go back to. I, you know, I think that and I think that was really the one deciding factor for me. You know, it's it's amazing, it's incredible, and it's definitive. And you've got those four other films with it, and all, all of that. And the book is fantastic that comes with it. But uh, it's not something that I'm going to pop in regularly. And so I really did want to go for things that I think have got rewatchability uh, and and for the package as well as the film itself. And so uh, in third place, I have Nagisa Oshima's Cruel Story of Youth. Uh, which hmm. is a fantastic film from uh, 1960, Japanese film, set just after, or kind of around the same time as like those Sun Tribe films that were big in uh, in Japan at that time. You know, very sort of rebellious teenagers, up to no good. Um, this one is a little bit different. For one thing, it's in color, and it's in this fantastic new 4K restoration. You know, the colors in this movie are so rich and deep and vibrant. It looks absolutely sensational and it's just this really cool story of just um of, of, of just this guy who's just an asshole basically <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and he uh picks this girl up and sort of how he sort of push, pushes her into prostitution kind of thing they have this racket yeah. going where she she gets lifts from guys and then he follows them on his motorbike and then just beats the guy up and they rob him <laughs> <laughs> and that's basically all they do and then he gets her knocked up and, and what have you so it's a really sort of cool film from a very sort of exciting period of Japanese cinema that I really like anyway and I think that the uh, the package is it's minimal what you get with it but I think that that mm-hmm. video essay from Tony Raines is yeah. is really good value I mean it's 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 not an essay in the same way that the David Cairns one is but it's you know it's, it's just an interview <laughs> it's just him talking and Tony Raines is always good and I'm you know I'm annoyed almost at how good he is I know he's been around <laughs> forever and he's just but he's as particularly on Asian cinema. Well, I say that, and then you you stick in a Fritz Lang movie, and it's him again talking about how great like Ufa was, <laughs> and you're just like, this guy knows everything about everything, and uh, he gives this fantastic, very pretty lengthy video interview all about Oshima, his whole career, cruel story of youth, sort of. Uh, you know where it fits in Japanese cinema mm. at that time. It gives you the history of Shokiko as well, uh, who were not known for doing this kind of film at all. They were like the real sort of uh, Ozu family oriented, very safe studio in Japan. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, in, it's a really sort of incredible piece of uh, education. Uh, and then a good booklet as well with, um, with, with uh, you know, some, some good stuff in there as well. So it's a, yeah, it's a great film. It's a fantastic transfer of it and a really good substantial uh, bit of supplemental material. There, so that's my mm. number three pick. My number two pick, I'm sure, is going to get mentioned by you guys as well because it's just been coming up again and again and again. And that is Shane. You know, the, like like Tom said, this is just the the release for cinephiles. You know, having three versions of the film, that audio commentary with his son, and the production is it the production designer. I think is really really good. I haven't listened to the radio theater uh, version of it yet, but um, I'm sure. It's well worth it as well, but just having all three versions and that they haven't cheap skimped on it. You know, you've got all three versions on Blu-ray. It's not like here's 
here's a DVD with the other two versions. You've got all three on Blu-ray. Uh, and the film, yeah, it just looks it looks incredible. And I'm like I said, I think the reason I picked my three my three picks were as much to do with just how good the films were looking now. And mm. uh, again, it's going to be something that I revisit again and again and again, regardless of how irritating that kid is. And it's funny how <laughs> yeah, much of the, of the supplemental material focuses on how great that kid is. Um, yeah. you know, he got nominated, he got nominated <laughs> for an Oscar and they, they just gush and gush and gush over and over again about oh, how amazing he is. He's not, I'm sorry. No. He's, He's really, really annoying. Um, but I, that's you can understand why Shane left. Well, absolutely. Yeah, happy life. Like, come back, Shane. Yeah, come like... back, Shane. It's like no, not unless you shut nope. up. <laughs> but um, uh, but I, you know, and I don't think that works into the film's detriment because it kind of does work that you find him annoying. You know, it, it does. Yeah. It does sort of help them at film. Uh, I don't know. When I, I was sort of sat there thinking, oh god, just someone put a sock in him or something <laughs> like that. You, know what I mean? I, you, you shouldn't really want kids to. Can you not just get accidentally sleep. shot as well? You know, he, he, yeah. he does, yeah. he does you know like, I mean? like to... just, just didn't. Yeah, just shot, shoot him in the leg. He does like <laughs> to play shot, with guns. So could he not have just slipped one live shell into exactly. that into that little yes. rifle yeah. he likes to play with? Um, <laughs> speaking of yeah, and I love I love the whole thing in Shane and and in the, and it's focused on quite a lot in the supplemental material about when Elisha Cook Jr. gets shot and how that sequence meant so much to Stevens. You know, after coming back from the war, and he was like so outraged at how you know seeing characters get shot in films just was almost glorified or almost um painless and he was like no this yeah. is not how people die when no, this is not what happens when people get shot and so they kind of rigged elisha cook up so that he w- just went flying when uh jack palance shot him and uh that sequence mm. well it's fantastic anyway yeah so it's a great film um and then my number one pick no surprises it's dragon in for all the reasons I've said before, it's such a landmark of Chinese cinema. Uh, it's so influential to not only the whole wuxia genre, but people like Tarantino and what have you. Uh, and it's now available. It has been never available. I remember I, I used to work for Yes Asia about 10 years ago, and it was one of the films that customers were always asking for, and there was no good version of it. There was there, there was this, some crappy Taiwanese dvd of it that didn't have english subtitles and it looked like shit you know it really did it looked terrible and that was all you could get for so long uh and this really is the first version that has come out ever that looks great and has english subtitles and has really good really worthwhile material as well really contextualizing it and i think you know that and definitely check out a touch of zen as well but this is uh it's fantastic. So yeah, without without a doubt, really, that's my favourite release of the year. Great, Tom, your top three. Okay, well, I'm going to do Showa at number three. Um, purely on the basis of everything I've said before, I don't think there's much I can add to it. Really, I think this was for me. It was the marquee mm. um, re- release of the year. Um, I can watch this type of thing more than once. Actually, mm. um, I, I find it. I, I think I find it infinitely rewatchable um in a kind of in that kind of way where i just feel like it's, it's so interesting to watch it and it's almost that kind of and having been to a few of the places that are shown in the film mm. as well i think that kind of resonated with me quite a lot but yeah definitely show just the whole package as well and the amount of features that came on it as well like the additional documentaries and there's you know you get your kind of like the last of the unjust and and, and films like that you know, in there as well so it's not even you get so much more to this box set than i think you could ever ask for and like we kind of discussed before it does look absolutely incredible as well mm-hmm. um second was the quiet man um 
again, for everything I said, I just found this film ridiculously enjoyable and funny and um, kind of ridiculous as well in in, in many parts. But <laughs> it was it was just a, a comp- It's not often you watch a film and you kind of go back. And you said you could li- I could literally have watched it straight after again. I've watched it I think three times now over the course since it came out, mm. and I, I I can see it being having never seen it before. Um, for it to come out and kind of blow me away like that, I was, I was so happy basically that it it's out there. But my number one pick, um, and this film completely took me um, by surprise, in the fact that I knew absolutely nothing about it whatsoever, um, was Day of the Outlaw. Mm, wow. uh, this film completely um, broadsided me. I was. It kind of started off, and I mean, I just, it, it felt like a kind of a really pulpy western as it were and i I've, i hadn't really seen anything like it in quite a while um and it kind of starts off with robert ryan just threatening to kill everyone <laughs> for for not doing things his way and he wants some kind of you know, he, he seems to be at odds with everyone and then these kind of the bad guys turn up and sonny's gonna kill all of them and it was just such a bizarre film i i i, I can't believe that quentin tarantino hasn't seen this i mean i i, I don't know that he has but i i actually imagine he must have mm. It seems like the type of film he would he would just get so into, and uh, it it completely blew me away. I was just totally the the cinematography as well was so stark, and it, it kind of really made you feel like this was a, a this part of America that was literally on surviving on a day to day basis. It was kind of at this kind of crossroads, and I kind of got this idea that one way or the other it could kind of just fall into complete ruin basically. And, and the people living there and it, it was so tense as well. I found, and um, I, I think I loved it anymore. And I, I dug out the poster for it. And one of the strap lines on the poster was watch what happens to the women. Wow. That was, that was one of, one of the lines on it. And it kind of had this sort of like really kind of almost kind of pornographic image of this girl kind of big chested woman on her knees with kind of guns in the foreground and it was just yeah I, I it was such a bizarre just experience all around watching it and then like I said I, I hadn't I hadn't seen anything like it I think for quite some time and I was completely um in awe of it and I've, I've watched it four times now mm. which is pretty unheard of really to watch a film <clears> that many times and it's it's something that it's one of those oddities, um, like we were sort of saying at the top of the show, that these films that you, I'd never heard of, knew nothing about. I would never have sought this film out at all. I've, I've never heard anyone talk about it. I've never seen anything about it. And then it just literally arrived through my letterbox and in it went. And I was like, oh my God, this is actually incredible. And, and Robert, you know, Robert Ryan's a great actor. I really, you know, he's one of my favourite actors from the 50s and the 60s. And um, yeah, just an, an amazing film in, in, on so many levels. And uh um, I didn't know anything about Andre de Tooth either. I mean, he just seems to be one of these kind of a real, just kind of strange. He seems to have a really interesting life. Hmm. Um, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to s- seek out more of his films. Hmm. That's awesome because uh, there are three films for, that were released in 2015 that I haven't watched yet, and two of them are The Quiet Man and Day of the Outlaw. So I know, I know what <laughs> yeah. I'm doing next week. So yeah, yeah. I mean, one of my ones that almost made um, the, the, the top 10 was The Cruel Story of You. Cool. Um, yeah, because I, I, I really, really, well, I, I don't suppose enjoy is the, <laughs> is the correct word for it. But I mean, it was it was a real, again, it was one of the films, know nothing about it, popped it in and I was like, oh, good grief, this is, this is pretty amazing. And Paper Moon as well, I really, really enjoyed. 
I'm, I hate Ryan O'Neill for Love Story. <laughs> I, I, I still can't get over that. But I mean, um, this was, yeah, it's an interesting film, Paper Moon. Obviously, it's you know, him and his daughter. And I just love their little kind of act that they had going. And the ending as well really really got me mm-hmm. um i found it quite quite emotional actually and it was and again it was one of those um it was one of the few films that came out of the director's company which was you know formed with um francis for copics one of the other films you had in this in in that series was the conversation that was one of the, oh, yeah, that's right. the films that get managed that they managed to get funded and I, I don't think um freaking did his i think it was when he was literally i think the cocaine i think was taking over by this stage mm. and uh i don't think he ever got to make his but you know um Paper Moon was one of the films that did manage to get, they did manage to get made on a very small budget and it, it did incredibly well. And I can see why it's a really, just a really enjoyable film. But yeah, I'm going for Day of the Outlaw as, as my pick of, pick of the year. Just a, an extraordinary Western. Um, Excellent. I, 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 I cannot recommend it highly enough. Hmm. Okay, so I've been kind of juggling five films here, trying to figure out still which will be my top three. But obviously, Paper Moon uh, deserves a high mention. Loved the black and white stark images of like the depression area, uh, and that sort of interesting juxtaposition with this incredibly sweet story between these two protagonists is just um, yeah so good as we've been talking about. Also, like wooden crosses, far less sentimental than another favorite of mine, All Quiet on the Western Front. Really makes you hate war. And yeah. I love how they kind of portray this this crucial war era that they are depicting. Um, and just the use of sound, the use of authentic recordings of explosions and machine guns. And yeah, just the, like the sonic experience that Wooden Crosses is. It's just incredible. But moving on to my top three. I've talked about it before, but listen up, Philip. Not necessarily my top three film of the year, but definitely in the releases of the year, just in terms of the entire package. I love the the cover for it. Uh, it really should have been mentioned in my top covers. Uh, I also love how they implement different book covers inside the film uh, and how they have hired a visual artist to kind of kind of make this these fictionalized books co- book covers uh, throughout the film and just the the film itself is really really interesting for me and quite quite a challenge but still very rewarding as well as the the supplements is just uh, excellent as I've been talking about so that is my number 3 uh, my second one is John Frankenheimer's seconds it is an absolutely engaging film I mean, it's so fascinating, even in today's culture, just how it relates to how we deal with, like, fame, how we deal with the realisation of ourselves. Yeah, it works on so many different levels. The cinematography is just excellent. The Saul Bass uh, pre-title sequence, everything just comes together. Rock Hudson is on form. So, yeah, incredible film. As well as the two commentaries for the film, especially... I think it was Adrian Martin who did the uh, the exclusive commentary for the Master Cinema release. Um, so that is definitely worth checking out. And my favourite film, with which both of you have talked about, is actually Cruel Story of Youth. Oh, nice. Ooh. This is a film that you talked at length about, James. But what I did really find interesting was just how 
it relates to the generational aspects of the film and also how it relates to the the absence of fathers in Japan, the absence of like a a parental supportive figure and how that kind of um it kind of creates this this lack of uh, the ability to stand up and protest uh, which is really interesting in Japan with how Japan is so afraid to stand up and to cause uh or to um, start a revolution and how they kind of do this sexual revolution instead yeah just a just an incredibly interesting film from so many aspects and it also looks it looks incredible the performances are just excellent oshima i think he's one of the most interesting directors i've come across uh, this last year where I also watched the Inderrealm of Senses, uh, mm. which is quite a different film, but you can see like traces of that film in his earlier achievements here. So sure, yeah, you should definitely check out, um, definitely check out Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence as well. Yeah, yeah, of course, I've seen that one as well uh, with David Bowie mm. passing away. So yeah, really excellent film. Yeah. Okay, I think that's it for us this year. Was there any films anyone that watched that really didn't? Um, do anything for them we've talked about it i don't remember if we talked about it during recording but life of riley i did watch it uh through uh, unlike oh. some others but, <laughs> um but it didn't really do anything for me now yeah i was just i can't take this I, I just i don't know i wasn't i've had some problems with my teeth actually i think it might have been peak toothache <laughs> and i was just like i can't do this i was like many I was, I was having a bit of a breakdown that day i seem to recall so you'd rather go pull and, uh, teeth I, than watch that is that what you say literally yeah <laughs> I, 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 I thought you know what i'm gonna have to do some i'm, I'm gonna have to take, i need something to take my mind off this pain i'm in and i i just say thought oh, do you know what i don't care mm. that was and i felt really bad for thinking it mm. And I just thought, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to make this through. I'm kidding no one here. Yeah. And yeah, I had to kind of turn it in a little bit. I sort of have a thing, a, 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 a sort of subgenre of films that I hate, and it's films that are about plays or putting on plays. Mm-hmm. I, they really get on my nerves. Hmm. And this kind of, yeah, it played into that, you know, this amateur dramatic group and all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, oh, I'm not enjoying this. Mm. So yeah, I did, I did half an hour, I think. And I thought, nah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave this one here. I think. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the that's the one that I didn't get to the end of. In fairness, I think I was distracted by something. You know, a phone call came in or something that I had to do, deal with, uh, and I just that thing had to be done. Yeah, I just never went back to it. Um, so one day I will. I mean, what's his name? The director is uh, obviously well, Alan Alan yeah. Rene. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, something of a treasure. But um, yeah, of course. Uh, you know, so I, I would like to give it another go, but that yeah, that was the one. Like I said, there were a couple of titles that I didn't get around to seeing, but uh, no, this was a, a bountiful year of uh, of delightful surprises, really, for the mm-hmm. most part. Yeah, really strong. Yeah, yeah. Overall, I thought it was yeah a great year, and there's no you know certainly no complaints on that department from me. No. Okay, so we can start wrapping things up. James, what's been going on with you lately as a critic? I'm writing more and more reviews for Screen International, so particularly mm-hmm. big sort of Chinese releases you can find. Uh, I've just reviewed The Monkey King 2, which to date still appears to be the only review I can find on the internet at the moment. Um, mm. It comes out, obviously, next week. We've got Chinese New Year next weekend, uh, so there'll be a, a big 
big family blockbusters always come out then. They tend to be rubbish. Mm. But actually, the Monkey King Two was <laughs> Monkey King Two was good. Uh, I genuinely liked it, and it's a sequel to the one with, that Donnie Yen did a couple of years ago, which was rubbish. Um, mm-hmm. So this is this is good. You got um, Aaron Kwok taking over as the Monkey King. Um, beyond that, I'm still uh, still tinkering away mostly behind the scenes at, at Twitch, but not doing quite so much these days. Uh, and writing uh, a lot of reviews each week for the local paper, the South China Morning Post. And um, mm-hmm. I'm also on the radio every week. And my my slot has been extended to a full hour now. So oh, get yeah. it. So every Friday lunchtime from noon till one Hong Kong time, uh, I I just do the week's new releases, and it's it's great. Uh, I I really really enjoy that, and that's become sort of more and more of a of a key focus. So. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I'll be doing good, that good. for the foreseeable future, I think. Great. Uh, Tom, what about you? Um, well, unfortunately, work has overtaken my life the past three months. So I've been working, um, literally doing various filming projects. So um, that has kind of distracted me from anything kind of podcast related, really. So I will be getting back on it. I've been, I was recording before we came on, actually, um, a bit of a, an episode about um, the new Amazon series, The Man in the High Castle. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing a 2015 wrap up, but I need to watch a couple more films again before I lock down my top 10. So there will be more coming on that um, department. But um, I've got, I've literally, as I left work on um, Friday, I was given the job of making a film about raising awareness of prostate cancer. So nice. that would be my, uh, that'd be Monday sorted for me. So <laughs> I'll be probably be uh, researching prostates nice. yeah. next week. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Get them checked, guys. That's the moral of the story. So yeah, uh, yeah that, that, that's 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 pretty much going to be in the next two weeks for me. I think. Nice. Um, we'll be getting back to a more regular schedule we soon. Uh, I'll be looking forward to that. Uh, it's been good doing oh, like a couple of months a break from this. Uh, I noticed that I needed I needed some breaks from uh, podcasting and from school and everything. So it's been nice yeah, to just. It's... Take it calm. <laughs> it's nice having. It's nice, yeah. I, I know what you mean. Actually, it's quite nice just kind of not watching films. Mm. We're kind of just enjoying watching exactly. films. Yeah, if that makes sense, and not having to think about what you're going to say about them and stuff like that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, but we'll get back on it. Yeah, definitely. So um, we'll have links to our different social profiles and how you can get in, in touch with us. Um, Go to moccast.blogspot.com for all the information and we'll be back in a couple of weeks or so. So thank you both for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And until next time, listeners, thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.